Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. The demographic of older adults over age 65 is growing and likely to be an increasingly large part of dental practice in the coming years. Diseases and conditions of the mouth are common among this population, and many feel less productive or experience low self-esteem because of poor oral health. My guests today are Dr. Imona Kraya and Dr. Rendeep Sidhu, primary dental care providers. They will describe dental conditions associated with aging and how older adults can maintain good oral health. They'll also talk about payment for dental services and available insurance coverage. So welcome, Dr. Kraya and Dr. Sidhu, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Cheryl, for having us. It's great to be here. Dr. Kraya, let's start with you. Let's talk about, just in general, the why good oral health is important to the wellness of older adults. What goes on in terms of older adults that we need to know, and how does it relate to the the prevalence of dental health problems? With age, um, good oral health becomes crucial as it impacts, uh, you know, overall health and also quality of life. For example, we know that dental issues can exacerbate existing health conditions. They can impact nutrition. They can impact speech and social interactions. We have a lot of research uh, to link, for example, dental problems and management of dental disease with heart disease, with diabetes and other systemic conditions. Over time and with age, there are a number of physiological changes that happen in the body that impact overall health as they also impact oral health. For example, there's a reduction in salivary production and salivary flow which leads to dry mouth in older adults, and that increases the risk of tooth decay. Now, saliva is also important because it, it uh, carries with it protective factors. Uh, so the reduction of saliva generally will cause increases in health issues downstream that impact nutrition. Now, the body's immune response uh, generally is diminished over time. So in older adults, we see a, a sort of decreased ability to fight pathological bacteria, and we see an increase in oral disease as a, as a subsequence. There's changes in uh, bone density, and that impacts gum tissues and the supporting structures to the teeth, which usually then precipitates you know, tooth loss, periodontal disease um, in older adults. And, and Dr. Kaya, I was also wondering about physical impairments that I don't know, I'm thinking of maybe arthritis or some other kind of uh, issue, some other maybe kind of disability, or maybe even like sensory issues like, you know, lower vision or something like that. Might that also be factored in when thinking about whether older adults are getting proper oral health? Yeah, absolutely. All of those factors that you mentioned play a, a factor in the outcomes, in the oral outcomes in older adults. Like you mentioned, arthritis and generally diseases of chronic pain will make it difficult for older adults to brush and floss effectively. Uh, the chronic pain will make it harder for them to follow regimens, especially as they become more stringent with complex dental issues. 
osteoarthritis often affects the jaw joint. And because of that, that will limit the range of mobility of the jaw, make it harder for uh, individuals to reach and clean the teeth in the back of their mouth, or even harder for them to tolerate procedures in the dental chair. Conditions that involve, you know, long periods of convalescence or restricted standing, wheelchair use, and mechanically they provide barriers toward achieving, you know, practical dental care in the house, but also make it harder for these individuals to then come into the dentist and to sit through dental procedures or, or uh, are, you know, to be able to comfortably receive dental care in the chair. And I would also think that maybe even, um, you know, if we talk about some health conditions, you mentioned a couple before, but I'm also thinking of maybe some kind of cognitive issue or just something where people are beginning to have some kind of mental health issues. What about that? We see it um, often in our dental practice. Uh, We have a, a an older patient demographic. And as we see them going throughout the year, their oral health declines, even though they're, you know, getting the same sort of instructions. Uh, With cognitive decline, we'll see a certain amount of sort of dental neglect. They'll often forget to brush. Uh, They'll lose track of time and not be able to brush consistently. Um, They're sometimes unable to exert sufficient force to do a, you know, a thorough job at home. And oftentimes they're unable to absorb the instructions when they come into the dentist to get their uh, routine cleaning. They might not be able to translate all of that information in their routine care. Uh, we do recommend things like power toothbrush and, th- and, and water picks and things to sort of counter that as much as possible. One thing that we glanced over a little bit earlier is um, things like sensory changes. You know, with a uh, gradual loss in visual acuity with age, we'll see, you know, leftover plaque in areas that we didn't see before as the hygiene at home becomes a little less effective gradually over time. Less so hearing loss, but with hearing loss, what we'll see is a gradual decline in the amount of information that they're able to absorb and then take home to apply on an everyday basis. With cognitive decline, one thing that I want to mention is also that their ability to communicate their own needs and report on their symptoms becomes affected. And so oftentimes there is a lack in communication and there's a lag in care that comes because of that. Well, another aspect that I'd like to hear more from you also is, of course, oftentimes older adults have a lot of prescription medications or even over-the-counter medications. So tell us more about how their oral health might be impacted. And uh, especially if there's multiple medications, uh, can that be problematic in terms of the impact on their teeth or their mouth? What would you tell us? Medication is a big factor in contributing to changes that come over time. As the number of medications that adults uh, or older adults are taking, the problem becomes compounded as often these medications have similar side effects. And so the overall effect tends to exacerbate over time. One main side effect that comes with a lot of the medications is dry mouth or xerostomia. A plethora of uh, both over-the-counter prescription medications exacerbate dry mouth, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications, um, opioid painkillers, sedatives that we often take for sleep deprivation, uh, decongestants, muscle relaxants, diuretics, and so on, 
all contribute to dry mouth. In different mechanisms, they may even alter the metabolism. They might affect the same neural pathway, such as in the case of antidepressants that aid in the salivary production, or they might affect water metabolism. So they essentially to dry out the tissues. So that becomes a, a huge a deal in how we manage these patients and the side effects that they get from the medication. There's a group of medications such as antacids that may be laced with sugar that, uh, you know, when taken chronically tend to increase the rate of tooth decay. Uh, some blood pressure medications also increase the rate of gum growth, which makes it harder to maintain proper gum health over time. And a big factor is increase in incidence in cancer over age means that the incorporation of medications such as chemotherapy drugs will often adversely affect the oral tissue. So cause uh, sores, dry mouth, increase the risk of infection over time as well. So we have to take all of that into account when we advise management and, and hygiene routines at home. And I was going to ask one more question that, since what you've been talking about tends to be more the personal aspects of each of your patients, but coming to the dental office itself, you use certain anesthetics sometimes or analgesics. Uh, could older adults be sensitive to those drugs, which, as I understand it, are used in dentistry? Is, is that a factor that may affect oral health for older adults? Yes, absolutely. Um, in general, with age, we'll see a decrease in the metabolic rate. So we'll see decreased kidney function or liver function, which affects how these drugs are then taken up and used up by the body. Uh, so typically with a decreased metabolic rate, we'll see a longer lasting you know, effects of the anesthetic. So patients may be numb for longer. To counter these, we tend to lower the doses to make sure that the dosages are safe for anesthetics, for example. A large amount of anesthetics contains some degree of epinephrine in that. And for patients with heart disease or blood pressure problems, we want to limit the dose of epinephrine to, you know, limit the chances of a, of a, a cardiac event in the process. A big medication that is, you know, mentioned often that we prescribe often or you take over the counter is ibuprofen. So a non-steroidal inflammatory that is commonly used to manage dental pain uh, seems very harmless, but in fact, it interacts with blood pressure medication to decrease the effectiveness of blood pressure medications. And so we have to modify the doses for ibuprofen for patients often. It also increases the rate of anticoagulation, so it interacts with uh, blood thinners to increase their effectiveness. So again, we have to be careful with the dosage to keep that dosage minimal in order to make sure we don't precipitate bleeding or increase bruising in these patients. It also causes to some degree um, gastric reflux. So in patients with GERD or in patients with a history of ulcers, we have to minimize the use of some common painkillers to make sure that these events uh, don't get triggered. So much to think about when you are treating the older adult patients. And to that point then, Dr. Sidhu, I'd like to ask you a question about dentures. We tend to think that in our modern age where everybody is fine now and doesn't have to wear dentures, but talk a little bit more about the percentage of older adults who wear dentures and why is that? And are there certain recommended dental care guidelines for your patients who wear dentures? According to the ADA, Cheryl, there's about 36 million Americans that are completely edentulous. What that means is uh, they have no natural teeth left in their mouth. 
So that's at roughly about 10% of the population. A large percentage of that population is older. Most patients that are edentulous, about 90% of them choose to wear dentures. Dentures are the most economical and common option for treatment of fully edentulous arches. Uh, there are also a much larger percentage of people that are partially edentulous. That means that they're missing at least one tooth. This number comes up at about 120 million. Uh, so that's roughly about 30% of the, uh, the U.S. population. So dentures are very much prevalent and uh, they are a way of life for a lot of people. Caring for dentures uh, more or less comes down to appreciating the material that they're made out of. So dentures are essentially a, a specialized plastic material. So oftentimes in our practice, we see patients using abrasive materials, which might sound intuitive like toothpaste to clean dentures. But unfortunately, because dentures are plastic material, um, that abrasive compound will actually scratch the denture up. And over time, you'll actually have bacterial growth and staining where the patient tried to clean that denture. So what we recommend for patients is to just uh, rinse the dentures after every meal with some uh, warm water and then to use a denture cleaner that has the ADA seal of approval. Typically, you want to do this overnight, um, and that leads to my second point. Typically, dentures have more of a problem of being uncomfortable, but when they are comfortable, people tend to wear them all the time. We do need to appreciate the fact that they are a foreign material that's in your mouth. So you want to take them out at night, and that's where you want to use that cleaning solution and uh, make sure that there's no sort of bacterial growth on the, um, on the denture. Um, secondly, we do have to make sure that the temperature of the cleaning material is fairly neutral. Because they're plastic material, sometimes we see people using boiling water. Uh, plastic will melt and it'll actually warp the denture. And we have patients come in where they said, I cleaned my denture and now it doesn't fit. And it's because they use too hot of a water to do that. The last thing I would mention as far as dentures go is absolutely never use any sort of bleaching product on them. Um, they are dyed, so we do see sometimes patients, the denture will actually turn white and uh, that's not what we want. So we want to use just the appropriate products and in the right way. Okay. Well, Ed, that's very helpful for our listeners who are wearing dentures or if they are, happen to have a relative or family member of some that might be wearing dentures. That's really important uh, information. The other thing, Dr. Situ, that I wanted to ask you to talk about is, are there dental conditions that may affect nutritional status? Talk a little bit about that, as well as just overall, diminish overall personal confidence and sense of well-being. I mean, when you see people, first thing you see is their face. And obviously, the dental health is very important part of that appearance and first impressions. So talk a little bit more about those two things, nutritional status and just general confidence and well-being and the relationship to dental conditions and what they might be. Yeah, Cheryl, that's a really good point. So when we're talking about dental conditions, you can basically boil down uh, tooth loss to two major contributors. One is going to be one that we know about, which is going to be tooth decay. The actual structure of the tooth is lost to bacteria in the mouth. Um, and then the second one is the more silent one, the one that doesn't hurt, which is going to be gum disease or what technically would be periodontal disease. 
And that's affecting the support that the tooth has to actually stay in your mouth. Now, both conditions will lead to a limitation in what a person can choose to eat. So it's going to decrease their options as far as their ability to eat a natural diet. So typically what we'll notice is um, gum disease will cause inability to eat hard foods, tooth decay while it's going through that process, sweeter foods or really any food will cause sensitivity so patients might limiting eating altogether. The other thing that comes as sort of a side product of both these things is oral infections or mouth sores. This will just make it uneasy for someone to have something in their mouth. So if they're trying to chew celery or hard things or eat nuts, uh, this is going to make it harder because it feels ulcerations in the mouth are just not going to be uh, create a comfortable environment for someone to uh, be able to, uh, you know, masticate properly. The second thing that I want to talk about as far as um, what uh, can happen physiologically too is as humans, the act of chewing just isn't about breaking down the food. When we're chewing, we're also producing saliva. And normally, of course, there is the lubrication of the food so that it could go down the esophagus, which is, you know, needed so that you can comfortably ingest the food. But saliva actually does much more than that. Saliva has enzymes that help break down the food. So if you were to just swallow a broccoli, for example, you are not going to have that saliva acting on that broccoli to break that down. Um, and then it kind of leads into my next point is as people experience tooth loss and go through uh, edentulism, they tend to either use smoothies or boiled foods um, to essentially uh, skip the part where we actually have to break down the food in our mouth. So that has a couple of different aspects that will affect uh, the nutritional value and the quality of the food as well. Uh, a lot of times the glycemic index can be altered because when you're blending food or boiling it, you're breaking down a lot of the fiber that's in the food. And um, because the sugar is readily available for someone, say, that's a diabetic, if you're blending a banana, you're going to see a sugar spike versus if you were to just eat that banana. So, you know, tooth loss is going to directly impact your sugar control. Then there's also this tidy aspect of it, how full you feel after um, you eat a meal. The act of actually consuming your food naturally will make you feel more full. And there's studies about this. If you were to take the same amount of food and blend it, you're just simply not going to feel the same amount of fullness. This has to do with the, the body's mechanism of knowing how much we're consuming. It, and it sort of, you know, it disrupts that pattern. So for someone who, um, you know, you might see sometimes weight gain in older adults that are edentulous because they're typically eating higher sugar foods that are blended just to feel full. So in that sense, it also has a um, effect on your, on your nutrition. Then the second aspect of it, which you mentioned earlier, is the social aspect of it. Um, of course, teeth make up a good amount of real estate in how we present ourselves uh, to the world. So patients that have issues that are visible, uh, missing teeth, uh, decayed teeth, or even, you know, it doesn't present well. There's several studies that show that for an uh, individual seeking a job, uh, a person missing teeth is less likely to, to land a job than someone that has teeth. So there is a, a social capital associated with having teeth. And then there's also a wellness aspect to it. 
if we want to go out and have a meal with a friend, with our children, um, false teeth can often create anxiety for older individuals because they're worried that the false teeth are going to come out. I'm talking again about dentures. And this may increase anxiety about social interactions. So it definitely decreases your quality of life uh, from that aspect. Before that, even the process of going through tooth loss, it's often uh, comes with some issues with chronic pain, teeth hurt. This can disrupt sleep patterns, and then it's going to have an effect on uh, you know, your existing anxiety or a an issue that you might have with depression because you need rest. So those things will all play in into how how well you feel about yourself and uh, they affect your self-worth and your self-esteem, definitely. Well, that covers such a variety uh, of, of conditions and um, circumstances and that are all associated with oral health. And so the first half, we talked about kind of general conditions, but uh, wanted to get into some of the specifics that are more prevalent amongst older adults. And uh, Dr. Cryer, I'm going to come back to you. You mentioned a little earlier in the interview about dry mouth. Tell us more about that. What's the cause? How is it treated when you see patients who have this condition? What are next steps? Dry mouth is very prevalent in older adults, and it's one of the main factors that leads to poor dental and oral outcomes in general. Um, by the age of 65, dry mouth affects about 30% of older adults, and by the age of 80, that goes up to almost 40%. Essentially, um, dry mouth is related to a reduction in salivary production and salivary flow, and sometimes even salivary obstruction, so obstruction of the salivary glands. Uh, we talked earlier about a slew of medications that are related to dry mouth that cause dry mouth by various mechanisms. Um, for example, blood pressure medications or diuretics may reduce uh, fluid in the body in order to keep uh, you know, blood pressure uh, control. Things like antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications and sedatives that control the same neural pathways that signal uh, salivary production. So in, um, in uh, hijacking those pathways, they actually reduce salivary production and so on. Chemotherapy drugs, they target uh, fast replicating uh, tissues in the body. And the oral mucosa is one of those. And, and salivary glands are found in the oral mucosa. So it typically slows down cellular production. Um, and in the case of radiation therapy close to the head and neck, it may permanently damage uh, salivary glands. Uh, a certain number of conditions lead to decreased salivary flow and therefore dry mouth. Diabetes is one of those, uh, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's as well, and certain autoimmune disorders such as rheumatoid arthritis and Sjogren's disease. Sjogren's disease directly contributes to dry mouth and it's fairly prevalent. It's one in 70 adults um, that uh, exhibit Sjogren's to some extent. There's a number of lifestyle factors as well that affect the prevalence of dry mouth, alcohol, caffeine use, tobacco and cannabis use. Uh, now, dry mouth in and of itself doesn't just lead to discomfort, but the development of oral sores, which will contribute how well you're able to enjoy your food. And um, also it leads to the development of uh, cavities and especially root caries that develops on the roots. 
Sometimes we are able to treat dry mouth by getting to its source, but oftentimes because it's related to other systemic conditions or medications that we cannot avoid, we are um, mainly managing the symptoms and, and uh, you know, aiding in the management of dry mouth in day to day. There are a number of over-the-counter products that people uh, um, have access to. If you're going into the pharmacy aisle, you might notice things like biotin, mouth coat, ricinol, and those are all aids in the form of mouthwashes, pastes, or gel that mainly contain a, a lubricating factor that help to lubricate the tissues in the mouth. Um, for patients that are having trouble on a chronic basis, we recommend things like lozenges and chewing gums that contain xylitol sweetener. Xylitol um, is found to have antibacterial and anti-cavity properties, so it combats the um, high risk of decay that comes with dry mouth. And at the same time, the lozenges, the, the, just the act of uh, having a foreign material in the mouth tends to promote salivary flow um, to sort of counter that dryness that we find. Of course, again, modifying lifestyle factors, increasing water intake, um, you know, sipping on water throughout the night sometimes becomes necessary, modifying the foods that we eat to reduce um, caries risk and to promote salivary flow helps. Uh, in the case of diabetic patients, uh, controlling the blood sugar uh, will help control salivary flow as well because it controls the, the water intake. So I, I wanted to get into some of the other couple of, of things that I saw that that's very helpful as well as dry mouth as well. Um, there was another uh, condition also that I wanted to check with you about was something called root caries and coronal caries. Uh, talk a little bit about that. Root caries essentially refers to um, cavities that develop on the root surface of the tooth. So with age, we'll see a certain amount of recession, so shrinking of the gum and bone, exposing the root surfaces. Gum disease will also lead to some recession and exposure of the root surfaces. And the root surfaces tend to be more prone to decay in general. That surface does not have enamel protection over top, so it's more porous and therefore uh, Bacteria are able to attack it more aggressively, are able to get towards the root of the, uh, or towards the nerve of the tooth faster. They always occur in areas that are a little harder to maintain, so close to the gum line where plactins accumulate faster. Um, so in general, they, uh, they pose a, a large risk factor in terms of dental health in older adults because it's related to dry mouth, root exposure, uh, periodontal disease, uh, and so on. We treat root caries, um, you know, with some of the same modalities that we treat coronal caries, which is the cavities that occur at the sort of top or crown portion of the tooth, which is with fillings. Uh, but sometimes we need to use um, special um, materials like glass ionomers or sodium diamine fluoride, which helps to arrest this cavity because often they occur in areas that are harder to reach. So there's challenges in providing sort of stable bonding and reliable restorations in those areas. In terms of prevention of root caries, uh, what we find works best is essentially fluoride application to reharden uh, the root surface as much as possible. So fluoride varnishes or foams at the dental office or prescription strength toothpaste and gels to use at home um, to decrease the rate of development of root caries as much as possible. Uh, one thing I did want to mention was um, with the root caries, uh, the glass ionomer that Dr. Kaya mentioned, 
Uh, one of the challenges with making the filling material actually adhesive to the root surface uh, glass ionomers especially designed to be a, a bit more um, conducive to the environment on the root. That's why that's used. Uh, that typically isn't used in the coronal caries as much. Uh, and the second thing I wanted to note was there is a medication that you could talk to your primary care doctor about that they use for cancer patients to induce salivary production. A drug is called pilocarpine. And that's something that, of course, you want to talk to your physician about that will act on the actual salivary gland stimulation. Okay, very helpful. Um, Dr. Kraya, just a couple of other uh, conditions. I believe you or uh, Dr. Sidhu mentioned a little bit earlier about periodontal disease. Anything else that you wanted to say about that, just to make sure that our listeners, in case they didn't listen to the first part of the program, uh, that they should know in terms of periodontal disease? Starting with defining a periodontal disease essentially refers to the infection that affects the structure surrounding the teeth, so namely the bone and the gums around the teeth. And it occurs, you know, as a result of bacterial action in the plaque and tartar that's found around the teeth. Now, typical modalities um, of treatment of gum disease will involve scaling and root planing, which you may have, uh, you know, more commonly heard as, um, referred to as um, deep cleaning. Um, Antibiotics, both topical on the sites that are involved or uh, systemic, uh, laser therapy, and surgical therapy such as gum grafts and bone grafts in certain areas. I did want to mention that with the more frequent use of implants in tooth replacement, you may have heard the term periimplantitis, which essentially refers to the same type of infection, but occurring in the structure surrounding implants. And um, it's caused by you know similar types of bacteria and the treatment modalities are very similar, but often a lot more challenging with implants than they are with natural teeth. Okay. Well, I'm going to turn to another aspect, which I think our listeners would be interested in hearing more about. And so I'm going to go back to you, Dr. Situ, and that's what are the different types of dental health providers? Because I think we sometimes not sure exactly who we should go to see for what and who's going to do what. And then as part of that response, then talk about a preventive dental examination. We would prefer that our older adults and others don't have problems with their teeth and their gums and their mouth. So let's talk about who they should see and what a preventive dental examination should look like. Yeah. So Dr. Kraya and I are, we're general dentists. So essentially we'd be the equivalent of a, a primary care doctor uh, that you would see on your, uh, on the medical side. Within our practice, we'll typically have providers called dental hygienists. Dental hygienists specifically will be um, limited to doing cleanings and doing some preventative treatments like sealants. Uh, they're typically focusing their uh, attention on educating patients about their hygiene and improving um, their care at home. Uh, if you've ever had a root canal done, which is essentially the removal of the nerve and the blood tissue in the tooth that has a, a problem, you're going to typically see an endodontist. And then if you've ever had braces or any movement of teeth that's required, orthodontist is the professional that does that aspect of your treatment. Um, subsequently, there are periodontists that would focus on the surgical treatment of any sort of gum issues. Dr. Kaya just talked about periodontal disease. 
there are sort of stages to periodontal disease. And a lot of that can be treated with, by us, the general dentist with the hygienist, but sometimes it gets beyond our scope. And when there's surgery needed in that regard, a periodontist would be involved in that. Periodontists will also be involved in placing implants, uh, dental implants, and caring for those dental implants as well. Oral surgeons focus on the extraction of teeth. Um, they will also focus on things like biopsies or removal of uh, soft or hard tissues within the oral cavity. And they are going to be also involved in more complex jaw surgery, typically done in a hospital setting. Um, and this could be TMJ joint surgery. Um, this could be a removal of tumors or overgrowths of bone as long as it's relating to the sort of the maxillofacial area um, of the individual. The last specialist uh, is going to be a prosthodontist. A prosthodontist is typically going to be uh, doing something similar to what we do, but it's for instance, where patients have um, very extensive work that's needed. So, you know, if someone needed most of the teeth uh, crowned in their mouth, that would be something that a prosthodontist might do. Because typically that means that the, the bite of the person, the facial profile may have changed. So it's just can get a little more complicated in that regards. And that's where a prosthodontist might be useful. Of course, there is a, a pedodontist that only deals with children. But since we're focusing on the older population, that, that's not so relevant uh, for this conversation. Okay, so take us to the next level then here in terms of a preventive dental examination. And as part of that, what actually is involved in Talk about dental x-rays. I think sometimes people are a little nervous about dental x-rays and how often they should do it and this kind of thing. So we want to kind of turn to prevention and how to keep people's mouths healthy in general. Prevention is the most important thing that we have as dentists to um, ensure that we have a long quality life with all your teeth. So in a preventative dental exam, the first aspect is going to be the medical history review. Uh, the reason the medical history is important is we're trying to make sure that you're able to tolerate dental treatment and that things that are happening systemically, if they're manifesting in your mouth, we want to be aware of those things. We also want to be aware of any allergies, any sensitivity to medications that we may use in your mouth. Uh, secondarily, more importantly, we want to make sure most people, by the time they get older, have a dental history in their mouth. So, you know, you have old crowns, you may have implants. This is a big part of what the preventative dental exam is doing, is we're ensuring that all that money that you have invested in your health is being taken care of. So, uh, you know, th that's part of the preventative dental exam as well. Then we're going to review your oral hygiene at home. We may see you, you know, two to three times a year, but most of what the dental hygiene is done by you at home. So we want to make sure we're educating you and taking care of your teeth at home. And so a lot of the uh, preventative dental exam will focus on that. And then um, oral cancer screening, checking the soft tissue to ensure there's not any sort of uh, cancerous lesions in your mouth. And that's also something we would be doing when we're examining both your hard and soft tissue. And lastly, more so in recent years, there has been a push to assess the airway of the patient. Uh, obstructive sleep apnea is common, but fairly underdiagnosed in the United States and in general, and it impacts a general quality of life. As dentists, we can make the diagnosis of obstructive sleep apnea, but one of our missions is to screen for it. 
So typically, if we see a lot of uh, tissue that could lead to uh, obstructive sleep apnea, we may ask you to consult your primary care doctor to get a sleep study done to get an accurate diagnosis and treatment for that. And other than that, we are assessing for TMJ. Um, of course, TMJ is the joint, it's natural. TMD is the disorder. A lot of times people are confused by those two terms. And what we're really looking for is uh, the, the TMJ joint is one of the more complicated joints in our body. So if you have things like, you know, rheumatoid arthritis, any sort of issues like that, it, it can very much display and have symptoms uh, in the jaw joint as well. So um, we are doing mobility exercises, checking for opening and making sure that you're able to, you know, uh, function uh, normally with that. So those will be all part of the, um, the dental exam. And then kind of leading into the second aspect of it, the thing that makes people very nervous, the dental x-rays. So dental x-rays are typically, uh, if I was to paint with a broad brush, you want to do a full set of x-rays once every five years or so, and you want to do routine x-rays annually. The purpose of the dental x-rays that we're doing routinely is to check for areas that we can't physically see um, in the mouth by just doing the exam uh, with our eyes. So we're talking about things that are under the gum tissue and places where the teeth are touching, those flossing surfaces. So we're checking for cavities on the flossing surfaces, and we're also checking the bone level to see if there's any evidence of bone loss um, with those x-rays. And as far as the uh, the safety uh, of these x-rays, you know, the, the frequency, which is roughly for most patients, is going to be once a year for x-rays. Uh, typically, what it boils down to is the radiation is fairly minimal. There's lots of um, context and analogies online, uh, but I just wanted to give you actual numbers. So uh, radiation on four dental x-rays will essentially range between four to 32 millisieverts. This is the measure of radiation. And according to the, uh, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, an individual just sort of living their life will have exposure from natural and man-made sources of radiation that goes up to about 6,200 millisieverts in a year. So if you were to just sort of compare 4 to 32 to 6,200, which we're naturally going to experience anyways, it's a fairly small percentage of uh, the radiation you're going to experience in a year. Uh, so it's important to keep that in context. And of course, we're always using the principle of ALARA. So we were using x-rays when they're needed and we're getting vital information out of them. Okay. The other part, which I'm sure listeners want to hear more about, is how to pay for this. Uh, because everything that both of you have talked about is important. So are preventive dental health care services usually covered by insurance? Uh, what about Medicare, Medicaid? What do we need to know? This is so important. Dental insurance industries typically uh, created three tiers of services for um, dental services. So preventative is the, the first one, and then uh, that's going to include things that I just mentioned, which is going to be your annual exam, your cleaning, um, perhaps fluoride placement, and, um, and also any sort of x-rays that might be involved uh, for that preventative visit. Um, these types of services for most private insurances are covered at a high percentage, uh, 80 to 100%. Um, so these these services are typically covered. 
Um, then there's more of a sliding scale on things that are basic, considering things like fillings, that would be a basic service. And then there are major services. These would be things like crowns, dentures, root canals, and things like that. Um, what uh, you want to also note for uh, the the aspect of private insurances, even though they're covered at 100%, it may not mean that you have no out-of-pocket. You want to make sure that you talk to your insurance about what 100% might mean because there is no standardization of fee schedules in the United States. It's, it may still mean that may, there may be some uh, out-of-pocket costs with preventative services. As far as Medicaid and Medicare goes, uh, we would love to see more coverage in these areas. Medicare uh, does not cover any sort of um, preventative or really any dental aspect uh, attached to it at this point. So most of that is going to be out of pocket. The only time Medicare may cover a dental procedure is if you're inpatient at a hospital and you happen to have a, a dental procedure done in the hospital while, while you're hospitalized. Um, Medicaid is typically a, a closed network system. So you have to enroll and become a Medicaid provider. So you want to make sure that if you're going to a dentist, that they are a part of that network. There typically is a lower participation in Medicaid programs, uh, purely because of um, just the economics involved with providing quality care. But, uh, you know, you just want to make sure that, you know, you go to a provider that is participating because anyone outside of that network would not be able to see you. And uh, the coverage there is usually is a, everything is covered at a high rate. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end of the interview, but we still have time for a very important question. And I'm going to go back to Dr. Kraya, and that is, what care should older adults practice daily to ensure good dental health? Maybe you can give some tips about toothbrushes and toothpaste or flossing. What do we need to know? Absolutely. That's a great question. The rule of thumb that we've always had for years is twice a day uh, for about two minutes. I would say at least two minutes is with the aging population. We see a variety of anatomy and restorations in the mouth that make it more challenging. Whether you're using an electric or a manual brush, that should be the rule of thumb. Uh, a choice of brush, we always recommend a soft or extra soft bristle brush. And with electric brushes, they usually label the sensitive brush heads. The reason being is that the, you know, harder or medium uh, sort of hardness uh, bristle brushes tend to abrade both the enamel and the root surface, taking away, you know, that vital tooth structure that we need so much. In general, fluoridated toothpaste is highly recommended to counter the effects of all the uh, risk factors we mentioned in tooth decay. But I would stay away from uh, whitening toothpaste. So typically, they contain ingredients that make them abrasive. Uh, they're great for removing stain, but in the process, they'll also remove tooth structure. For older adults that are starting to have issues with you know, manual dexterity, cognitive decline, um, chronic pain, and, and uh, the amount of pressure that they're uh, able to apply as they're brushing, electric toothbrushes are a great solution. There's studies that show that they're up to 19% more effective than manual toothbrushes. And nowadays, the market is saturated with smart versions of them. Oral-B has an I.O. line, for example. Sonicare has a smart line. And they tend to have screens and Bluetooth connectivity and a lot of sort of applications that can help 
help you, um, you know, improve on the effectiveness of your brushing, check on areas that are missed, and and in general help uh, sort of close the gaps in maintenance at home. One very important thing to mention is interdental cleaning, and that refers to cleaning between the teeth and at the gum line. We, you know, we, we always love to nag about the flossing, but it, those are the areas that are very important where we see a high occurrence of these root cavities and recurrent caries, which are cavities that happen on areas that were already restored. Um, they tend to be with between the teeth. So whether you're taking, you know, experimenting with different types of floss or floss picks when the floss is not um, e uh, easy to handle, um, soft picks or proxa brushes, which we generally explain to patients to be the ones that look like little uh, Christmas trees or little pipe cleaners um, and threaders for under bridges. I think they're a great addition and they should be incorporated into daily routine. Another tool that we've been recommending more often nowadays is the water pick, which is a powered water flosser. It helps adapt better to a variety of anatomies. So spacing, tipping, uh, bridges, implants, and, and uh, areas that are more challenging in the mouth and cover a variety of those uh, rather than having a, a wide armamentarium laid out for every, you know, every evening's uh, sort of home care. Mouthwashes help to loosen up plaque and can be added. Um, they do not replace brushing or flossing, but they can be a great addition as long as they are alcohol-free so they do not dehydrate the tissues and ideally fluoridated so that we don't dilute uh, some of the benefits of the fluoride that we're getting. We talked briefly about xylitol-containing products. They help stimulate salivary production and they keep decay down if, when they're used regularly. And so they're a great addition for people who are known to have a higher incidence of cavities. Uh, dry mouth products that we mentioned before um, can be a good addition. And prescription toothpaste, so high levels of fluoride to be used nightly in the form of a gel or a mouthwash will help patients that are known to have a high incidence of tooth decay or, or are suffering with dry mouth. And most importantly, maintaining regular dental visits so that issues that are in the early stages of development are caught early rather than um, when treatment sort of, you know, is exacerbated into something more major. And to that point then, because as I said, we're just about out of time. So how often should older adults see a dentist? The frequency of appointments, both for cleanings and for regular examinations, varies widely uh, and is based on the specific needs and risk factors of each person. The American Dental Association doesn't have a minimum requirement, but in general, you know, the experience of the years has uh, sort of brought over a rule of thumb of twice a year, so every six months. And that seems to be uh, fairly sufficient for patients with low, relatively low cavity or periodontal disease risk. And that frequency may go up for patients as their risk increases or their maintenance at home become more challenging. So it may go up to every four months or every three months. For patients with active or difficult to control gum disease, they may actually alternate visits between a general dentist and a periodontist in order to keep the control over the gum disease in check. All right. Final question. Uh, Dr. Sidhu, any resources that folks can, I mean, you too have given a an excellent overview of uh, what we need to know, but any other resources that might be helpful to learn about oral health in older adults? 
Uh, yeah, I w actually also did want to mention as far as um, uh, dental insurance, um, you know, uh, free or subsidized healthcare. Uh, we did some research. FQHCs, which are uh, located in Maryland, you can, they're federally qualifying health centers. Uh, their website is findahealthcenter.hrsa.gov. You can locate one close to you. These clinics typically have a sliding fee schedule. There's a, a local health departments, Montgomery County, md.gov, you go to health and human services. There's typically uh, senior focused dental clinics that you can locate uh, via that um, uh, via that resource. Uh, Maryland Healthy Connection, which is the state resource for finding insurance, of course. Uh, and there is a nonprofit out of Poolsville, Maryland, WUMCO Help Incorporated, um, that helps seniors with the um, with with dental care. Uh, and lastly, um, I did want to mention there are uh, private clinics that offer dental plans within with in-house that sort of uh, bundle preventative health care and offer a discount on our major and basic services. That's always uh, a good avenue as well. And um, uh, of course, there's uh, HSA and FSAs are good avenues to to get uh, health care at a tax subsidized rate as well. Um, as far, far as uh, resources online, we primarily use, and we're going to put this on our website, ksdental.com, uh, for all the papers that we reference. So feel free to visit us there. Uh, American Dental Association, Centers of Disease Control, the Journal of the American Geriatric Society, the National Institute of Dental and Craniofacial Research, which is part of the NIH campus, uh, the WHO, of course, and some of the branded products like Bioteen um, and even Crescent Oral-B, which have a website called dentalcare.com that's specifically geared towards uh, educating um, uh, consumers about oral health care. Okay. Well, that's very helpful since this program goes beyond Maryland. Uh, there, I'm thinking folks might want to check out some of those other uh, more nationally located uh, departments and uh, organizations as well. I want to thank Dr. Imona Kraya and Dr. Randeep Sithu, primary dental care providers, for joining me today. Now, if you want to learn more about Aging Matters, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio programs, as well as the TV show episodes. And you can access the Aging Matters podcasts, which are on Apple, Spotify, Mixcloud, and other sites. Also want to acknowledge the fact that Aging Matters is produced in association with Steve Black Audio. And if you want to learn more about that organization, just log on to steveblackaudio.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week.